Welcome back, fellow music lovers. You are now tuned in to yet another exciting adventure with us here on Discologist. I'm your host, Kevin, as usual. So happy to have you back here again. Hope you're staying safe out there. You are sane and sanitized and all that. Uh, got a great little show for you this week. Uh, a little different show. You know, we often say about uh, Discologist and all the work we do here at ChunkyLasses.com that this is about a uh, conversation about music. It's not. There's no need for us to be right. Hopefully we turn you on to some new stuff, some stuff you like, but it's fine if you don't like it. And uh, not too often, though, do we actually go and talk about something that maybe isn't our favorite. We're doing that today, uh, talking about uh, Asher Gamedze's uh, new album, Dialectic Soul. It's a jazz album, and um, this what you're going to hear is less a review and more of a process of how we talk about music. Wes, our, our guest on this, is he loves this album, and I'm I'm warming up to it. Let's put it this way. Just from the conversation that we had just the other day about this uh, that you're about to hear, uh, I, I like the album uh, a little better than I did before. So that is uh, how we sort of recommend you listen to music. And, uh, and learn about not just the music, but yourself. So we're going to be doing that. Uh, we're going to be talking about a fantastic uh, album came out in 1976 called The Edge of Daybreak. Uh, the album was called Eyes of Love. It was reissued by a numero group in about 2015, I believe, and uh, just was brought to our attention. You know, came out of somebody's stacks and said, hey, have you heard this? Like, no. Have you talked about this? No. Like, well, let's do this because it's fantastic uh, for reasons that you will soon learn about. And then uh, Bill Frizzell has a new album out called Valentine. It's with his longtime trio. It's their first album that they have made, and we're going to be spinning a track from that. So if all of what I just said has you thinking to yourself, yes, I would like to go on that journey with y'all, then go ahead, strap your headphones on tight, push play on an all-new episode of Discologist where we're talking about new music from Asher Gamedze, The Edge of Daybreak, and Bill Frizzell. Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review it just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the last minute. That right there is a Some people will ask if they want to, why are you talking about jazz? And, uh, <laughs> to that, what do you say? <laughs> because it's the best music being made right now? Yes, that is correct. Uh, you know, uh, well, also, it's a slow year. Uh, so it makes a lot of room for this. Yeah. You know, people are making yeah. a lot of room in their coverage for all kinds of new albums. But I think being uh, isolated and whatnot, you have a lot more time to dig into, like, different stuff. Like, if you just, like, listen to music passively these days... I would imagine that'd be kind of weird because mm-hmm. you have a lot of hours to fill up. So, yeah, it is the best stuff being made right now. But it also uh, it fills up the space a little more. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, I've said before on this, one of the things one of the reasons I've been so deep down the jazz hole the last few years is just that you can follow along the thread. You know, you look up the album, you enjoy the album, you say, oh, I love that bass line. Who what else is that guy played on, you know, and all that. And so it's it's kind of this like never ending stream of music you can come up with. To fill your time. Yeah, and, and the one we're going to be talking about today came out uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, this is a highly acclaimed album, uh, Ashar Gamedze, I believe I said that right. 
the uh, pro pronunciation of uh, NPR, as it were, um, is a drummer from South Africa. He was on the Oracle, uh, which is another album that came out that was on uh, International Anthem, I believe, and uh, that's where people first heard him. And this is his first album, and he's playing with uh, Themenkosi, uh, Bella on bass, Buddy Wells on saxophone, Robin Fassi-Cock on trumpet, and Nono Nkoane on vocals. And this is something we see often in jazz, which is sort of a concept album, right? Where these pieces are actually meant to represent something. And this is something we're going to get into because I think with this one and with a lot of these, you actually kind of have to have a study guide. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to start off with uh, a little bit of this so people know what we're getting into. Uh, this record is divided into two parts. Uh, one is the State of Emergency Suite. Uh, it's three songs. And then the whole back half or back end is, is another thing. We're going to play part of the State of Emergency Suite. This is the first movement, uh, Movement One Thesis. That's a little uh, out there. Wes, would you say that's free jazz? That is, that's fairly free right there. Okay, yeah. okay. This was actually part of a uh, thesis, his, his uh, scholastic thesis that he was going to do for a dissertation uh, when they said, go ahead and you should just put this out as an album. And uh, what it is talking about is this long history of oppression uh, in South Africa. And the painful treatment of people of color, and also, but the joy uh, that not just people of color, that all people have been able to find uh, in in moments of pain and you know down the road. Uh, dialectic soul refers to the fact that things keep going, and so you know this is this is sort of a stop on the journey. But he wanted to balance all this with uh, the joy, with the pain, and. I know this is an album that you love. I do. You love it. And this is going to be one of those where, uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of jazz this year, and I am not necessarily feeling this, but it is because 
of the state of emergence suite. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that is so rubbing me the wrong way, but one of the reasons is is because it's so out of sync with the rest of the album. And so that's what when I was talking about a study guide earlier, if you don't know what this is about, like if you just hand this to somebody and say, I need to listen to this, like they're not going to know that. There's nothing in this. There's no context to be provided. So you have to have context. And I, what I want to figure out today is whether or not like that's a good thing or, or in this case, like for me at least, uh, it was it was detrimental to my enjoyment of it. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing. I mean, I will say that I came to this album. Um, so I had heard. Well, okay. So so he released um, "State of Emergence" suite first. Um, just those first three tracks um, were released as an EP. Um, you know, both vinyl and digital. I'm not sure if that one hit CD, um, but came out. Um, I think maybe in March, um, February or March, something like that. So earlier this year, he released just that part. Um, and then Dialectic Soul came out later. So I had heard about um, the State of Emergence suite, um, I think just on Bandcamp, but I had, you know, I had seen some reference to it, um, had listened to it, and um, apparently didn't really strike me because honestly, when I heard about Dialectic Soul, again on Bandcamp, just kind of browsing the, the new releases, um, or and that one was going to be coming out, um, I didn't think that I had heard of him. And I was like, okay, you know, who is this? What is this? This is interesting. And then when I like checked my collection, I actually had, had added the state of emergence suite. So I, I apparently had listened to it, but the funny thing is that I knew at that point because of the very short write up that was on Bandcamp that it was a reflection on colonialism, violence, um, you know, and, and the resistance to it and the movements that have worked against violence and colonialism and white supremacy. Um, but that was it. I did not yet have, um, any deeper writings. Um, I didn't have um, Ashar Gamedza's commentary yet on it. And I listened to the entire album just like lying down on the couch with my headphones. Um, and I was absolutely floored start to finish without that context. Again, I knew that it was colonialism and violence. Um, and for me, when Buddy Wells comes in on his saxophone at the beginning of that track, that is a very, very clear um, violent act honestly yeah, when he's coming yeah. in and you know and it's also interesting to say he's the only white member of the band um so he comes in with a very violent approach here um but i didn't have that strong context when i really 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 deeply clicked with this album okay okay because what what happens to me is that this this moves from that and and look there's max roach is the immediate like analog to this yeah. Uh, songs of freedom and you know we, music has been used to to make these statements and you feel it in the music specifically in jazz and stuff but often there's it's it's a complete statement and not paired with something uh say as beautiful as sia bulela Hallelujah. 
So, for me, if I start the album there, mm-hmm. then this all makes sense, and this all feels like a uh, uh, one project, and it feels uh, and look, it is a more uh, pleasing sound from that point. Yes, <laughs> to, yes. to be cool. You know, there, there's avant sides after that. You know, we do want to make clear. Yeah. You know, it's not just beautiful jazz after the suite. Um, no, and and I mean, you know, I'll, I'll say more about this in a bit. But but I also find the suite to be incredibly beautiful. Hmm. Um, but yes, it is. It is easier listening after the suite is over. It's true. You know, and he he goes into stuff like uh, bop even on this. You know, just straight like pop jazz. Uh, Nona's vocals are on that up front and center, but there's points in the album where she's echoing the saxophone, mm-hmm. and that is actually it's gorgeous. And the mm-hmm. work that's being done there is is quite fascinating, especially considering this is like his first band that he's led. Yeah, that he's yeah. getting them out. So that you know, it, it, it's open and it's it's forward thinking, and it says a lot about it. But but when you stick it with this whole other, uh, just very extremely atonal thing. Uh, I I can't remember artists that have done that to this this blatantly, uh, and 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 I obviously can't remember anybody where they've done that and it worked, uh, and and I don't know if that's because this is his first album, uh, or if it's just uh, something about it is is again it, it's just off for me when you put the two together. I think if you put State of Emergence Suite by itself, I'd be like yes. I mm-hmm. get that. And then mm-hmm. I think if you started from tracks four to eight, uh, I get that. And I'm like, yeah. And then I would be a huge fan of this. But put together, it's just rubbing me the wrong way. Maybe that's the point, though. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the only thing <laughs> the only thing about what you just said that I don't counter is when you're saying for me. You know, it doesn't work for you as a listener. Like, cool, 100%. You know, we, we talk a lot on this show about what works for us, what doesn't work for us, why we think that might be, you know. Um, and – I mean, it's an interesting thing because I, you know, I, I'm I'm huge on this album. This is by far my favorite thing so far this year. I expect it'll be my favorite by the end of the year. Um, and I've been talking it up a lot. And it's kind of funny because I think it was like the day before or a couple days before you first sent me the message saying, like, dude, I'm not feeling this at all. Um, I had posted about it on um, a music geek group on Facebook um, and a couple different people were like, oh, yeah, like, you know, your recommendations are always good. Like, I'm going to go order this. And then, yeah, I get this message in from you that it just like doesn't work for you at all. (laughs) And then honestly, even um, my guy who runs the local shop, um, who is a huge avant jazz fan, um, is saying it's not really clicking for him. That said, he he admits that he doesn't really listen to much um, avant or free jazz um, in warmer weather. That's just kind of his thing. Like he goes for grooves in hot weather and you know free avant in the, in the other time. But um, so yeah, I mean a, a couple things. One is that I do think that this fits in a certain tradition. Um, I mean, as you said, the, the Max Roach Freedom Now Suite is is I think the most direct, especially because he's calling it State of Emergence Suite. You know that that I I think is a very purposeful reference to Max Roach. And nothing on the State of Emergence suite is as bracing as Abby Lincoln's vocals on that Max Roach album. You know, that's intense stuff. (laughs) Um, You know, so that's one comment there. Um, But the other thing, and I think this both play, this plays in a couple ways of why this is working for me um, so well. One is that I've been listening to a lot of free jazz um, since 
the lockdowns, honestly. Um, I've been going for a lot of walks, putting on my headphones. When I'm at home um, doing other things, I'm more likely to be listening to something with a groove, something that's a little bit more in. Um, but when I've been going out for walks, I am putting on a lot of 70s loft jazz, a lot of free sounds, a lot of pretty wild stuff. And there's just something about that catharsis, something about that you know, blowing of extreme sounds that has been really, really helpful for me. Um, so that's part of it. I think that just, you know, those parts are getting to a certain emotional, um, you know, a level of emotional expression that I think is necessary right now that is working for me, but that does fit in with it. There's an album that I've been listening to a lot lately. Um, Julian Priester, who's a really interesting, um, you know, largely kind of associated with 70s, um, though he had a longer career. Um, but there's an album of his, um, I believe it's just called Polarization, um, that I was kind of thinking about a little bit because it kind of goes back and forth. Like the opening track um, is, I believe, just him and his horn, and he's just kind of meandering along a little bit. It's uh, pretty free. It's not unpleasant to listen to, but there's just not a whole lot to hang on to. You know, you don't have a drum groove or a bass line to hang your hat on while you're listening to it you're just kind of listening to him you know meander along on his horn a little bit the second song is just gorgeous i mean very in very kind of i mean almost even like a big band style melody that comes in and then it goes into much freer stuff and so i do think that 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 happened a lot um it's just very much in the underground um and, and i think you know largely in the 70s um you know maybe 80s uh you know there's definitely other stuff but it is in a tradition. Well, yeah, and you know, we, we just talked about the Emmanuel Wilkins album and about how that was uh, not meant to crush you. And like, I guess, I guess, you know, if you let it, that state of emergency suite will crush you. And then, but why, why keep pushing play? On that? <laughs> it, it, you know, if, once you get past that point, that's you know what, like eighteen minutes. Like, and then it's like you got, you got, and. The next song isn't necessarily a break. Is a break. It's more like a funeral dirge. Um, yeah. The the word actually means we thank you. Um, there's a fantastic spoken word piece right after that in Terignum, um, which is uh, the that word actually means a period when normal government is suspended, uh, especially between successive reign or regime. So you start to get a little of the political context, but like if you stop with state of emergence, sweet which I did for a long time, you, you miss out on a song uh, like Hope and Azania. Yeah.
Yeah, so for me, I, I will say, and, and, and I say this with full acknowledgement that I love this entire record start to finish, and that's the way I'm listening to it every time. But if you take Siabulila and Hope and Azania and put those together as like, you know, a, a seven inch, um, like A and B side, something like that, those two tracks would be for me the harmony of difference of this year, you know, and, and that's an album that you and I talk about pretty much every time that we talk. Um, but it's just something that just hits my soul in the way that I have needed it. And and I was a Kamasi fan before I heard that. Um, it is, I mean, by 10,000 times my favorite of Kamasi's um, recordings. Um, but it just hits, as I said, it hits my soul where I have needed it. And that's the album, kind of album number one that I'll turn to um, if I'm kind of having tough times emotionally. Um, and I would say that those two songs of Sia Belela and um, Hope and Azania are, if they were on their own, would be exactly that. Um, those two are just stunning. They're beautiful. They're melodic. Um, they're exceptionally well played. Um, but for me, the entire album does still do that. This is still kind of my comfort album of the year, even with its harder parts. So, so I mean, so people like me, I, I believe we're representing two sides of the argument that are going to people coming to this who are interested in it. Uh, you know what you were saying about harming a difference. That's that's exactly what I mean. I mean that if you threw some like insane atonal thing at the top or even like even one of those things so that album of people don't remember uh side one is variations on the theme and then side two is unification of those themes harmony of difference you see what he did there <laughs> and um and so if there was something in there if like the third track on side one was just some like atonal freak out i don't think we'd be talking about it and Not I think, in the same way, yeah. Yeah, I, but, well, at, at all. I mean, it'd just be like Kamasi made an EP. Mm -hmm. um, but I think because of that that foresight and that like successful execution on the vision, and I don't want to say because my enjoyment or people are going to like process this like I do uh, means that uh, Gameze was not successful in doing this. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't resonate with me the way a lot of this stuff actually does question and for you it, Had, quite frankly that's confusing sure yeah yeah i mean i i was a little surprised um when i heard that it didn't work yeah for you i mean partially just because as i said like you know i i, I just was floored by it from the start um you know to me i guess it, it falls a little bit more in line with something like a love supreme um really than harmony of difference um on its you know as, as kind of a whole thing but it, but it's definitely in that whole thing and it's it's a fascinating thing i mean coltrane is somebody who really struggled with the fact that people heard his later playing as angry um and he was trying to blow love of god um and you know and and spiritual seeking and and peace and hope and love um and this album, it is interesting. I mean, Coltrane is referenced in the liner notes, um, you know, in the description of um, the State of Emergence Suite. This album doesn't, for the most part, sound like Coltrane. There's a few moments here and there, particularly with Buddy Wells, that, you know, you can hear certainly an influence. But, of course, if you're a saxophone player post-Coltrane, you're influenced by Coltrane. Um, but I think it's a little bit more um, kind of similar to a Pharaoh Sanders record. Um, you know, another person who is kind of blowing love that does get 
associated with anger because it gets really screechy and squealy at times, you know, and that's not easy listening and I get it, you know. Um, but there's just, again, for me, there's something about the whole thing that does work together. Um, yeah, so, so I've got a question. Have you put on by any chance the third piece of State of Emergence suite and start there? No. I have I have I have remixed this album <laughs> to to figure out why and yeah. and some of it was I I've played just the state of emergence suite and I, I was feeling it then uh-huh. uh but then uh as soon as uh, Sia Sia Bulela I can't mm-hmm. say it but <laughs> um as soon as Sia Bulela comes in uh then I'm I'm taken out of that space and mm-hmm. not in a way that I want to be like I want to know okay. more yeah. about what's going on in the state of emergence suite Mm-hmm. And instead, I'm I'm dropped immediately into uh, more of a pop jazz thing, and that uh, makes a lot of sense because because mm-hmm. when I when we were first talking about it and you were first telling me that it didn't work for you, I remember just saying, "But but what about Ziabalela? Like, are you telling me that that song doesn't work?" And at the time, it didn't for you, and I was really surprised by that. Um, and I think it probably is because it seems like a bit of a shock, as you said. It's funereal. Um, his arrangement of it is based on a version um, that it was apparently played at the funeral of a friend of his a few years ago. You know, so it's directly in there. It's mournful. Um, for me, the later parts. I mean, uh, to be perfectly honest, there's only a very short period of time on this album that I think is unpleasant listening in any way, and it's mostly in the beginning of the first movement of the state of emergence suite. I would be really curious to hear your thoughts. If you just put on the third movement of that, um, the second movement ends with a bass solo. Um, and then the bass kind of like transitions right into the third part. And I'd be curious, like if you listen to that, of course, you know, it can't be a clean start because of that transition with the bass, but you know, kind of take that or take it from the, you know, the bass solo, which I think is the, one of the only times that Gamedza's drums fade out on the entire recording. Um, but I'd be curious in your thoughts on that, because I, I think that that is a pretty groovy track that isn't hard to listen to. Um, that, you know, I think you would like better maybe without the association of that opening piece. So, so maybe like the, the, what we're landed on is, uh, pick and choose from this. I mean, if if you if you really like the entire thing, then uh, I, you're probably a better person than me. I mean, you're probably that. Well, well, I am. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but uh, but you know, maybe pick and choose and see how this. I mean, everybody on this is remarkably talented. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, these and, guys are and, established. That's and I want to say for a debut album, this is impressive. Yeah. And so, uh, but. It, it maybe it's one of those that takes a little time. Uh, you know, this is often we come to consensus on on albums like this, and we say, "Yeah, go out and get it." Or, ah, no, nah, this sucks or stuff. And and this is one of those weird ones. Where we're gonna be like, we're gonna have to do a little more work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it, it, me, not you, but me, <laughs> but <laughs> but me, uh, and and you listening may be like, "Oh man, I, I did hear stuff that I was interested in." Or, or maybe you are just all in on Gamedze and you're like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do and, that. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, you know, I was, so obviously that's my experience. But I played the album for my parents. Um, you know, I, I was very fortunate to be able to safely see my parents um, for a few days um, a little while ago. And um, and I had been telling them about this, um, just, you know, <laughs> kind of telling everybody about it. But, um, but I put it on um, and... My dad, who I you know generally kind of think of, I mean, he loves Johnny Cash, he loves Jim Croce, he loves Willie Nelson, you know, he loves a lot of 
music, but but it's you know largely. I mean, you know, he's he's Dylan era. He's a huge Chris Christopherson fan. You know, so it's largely kind of in that folk country um, side uh, to a large extent. Though he does, you know, he listens to jazz, listens to a lot of stuff. But he w- he was really into it, and I was a little surprised by that. I thought that it would be a little bracing for him, but he loved it. And and so that is the one thing is is I would say like yeah, feel free to to you know pick and choose, take from it a bit, like ease your way in. You know, if that's um, what you need, absolutely. But but don't discard the idea that you can love this whole thing as a one piece, you know, um, it just, for whatever reason, it works for me. And I do, and I, and I'm, I'm by no means the only other one. I mean, as you said, this is getting a lot of talk. This is getting a lot of acclaim. Um, and the know. acclaim is, is mostly though, and that's why I really want to talk about it because the acclaim is mostly like, this is album of the year. This is best. This is, you know, a, a jazz record that got an 8.0 on Pitchfork. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, so so y- y- when you see something like that, uh, my contrarian gene kicks in. Sure. But I'm not being contrarian in this. I mean, I do think it's 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 probably an important listen, and uh, but it's it's difficult and difficult not in a way um, that other stuff that we've talked about where it makes you feel uncomfortable because it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's difficult in a way that like oh this is actually challenging to figure out how this comes together and so yeah uh, maybe you know we'll come back to it and and I'll be like I get it well I I, I really it. appreciate that you took the time because you were not <laughs> at a point where you were going to give those later tracks much of a chance um you know early on like it was just the, you were not having it um and so you know I really appreciate and respect the fact that you took the time to come back around on it and admittedly you know it's been my harassing you about it for you know weeks at this point but um but that you know that that says something about you as a listener and it says something about the album i really as i said i mean this is this is my number one of the year we'll be very surprised if that changes by the end of the year um i think that this is one of the very few there has been a ton of great jazz albums last couple of years um, and will continue to be more. Um, but I think that this is one of the ones that is really going to be spoken of, um, you know, in 20, 30 years as one of the really remarkable jazz albums, one of the next steps, you know, and, and I think it's going to be included in discussions along with things like Love Supreme. Um, and that's a that's a huge statement, um, you know, but I, I I think it is. I think that this is really an exceptional work. I, I'm not with you on that level of hyperbole yet, but uh, yeah. the, the, thing, yet, the yeah, the good thing is uh, Dialectic Soul is out now, uh, so you can go out and check it out for yourself, and then uh, let us know how you react to that.
All right, that, that track right there is Eyes of Love. It is by a band called The Edge of Daybreak. Uh, the album was released, it reissued in 2015, I should say, uh, released in 1976. And the reason we're talking about it is you, Wes, because you just said, hey, I've been digging on this thing. I had never heard of it, and uh, I, I guess I just fell off paying attention to Numero Group, uh, and I wasn't that hip in 1976. <laughs> but, um, but uh, and, you know, this is something we do from time to time as we go and, and we find these older stuff. Uh, and because they're good, they're, they're fantastic. In researching this, I found out that uh, our good friend Marcus Moore wrote two reviews. <laughs> so, because I, 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 I hit him up and I was like, hey, bro, have you heard this? And he's like, yeah, Washington uh, yeah. Post and P- Pittsburgh. Publishing like, a post about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so admittedly, that was five years ago. You know, it's fair. But... It is. But, you know, but that's the point is that you can never know about all music and you discover stuff. And when you discover stuff, you should indulge it. My vinyl copy just came today. What is important about this, and I think what is very, uh, extremely relevant to what we're experiencing today, especially in America, is this 10-member group of gentlemen. This is James Carrington on keys, Robert Glover on bass, uh, Cornelius Cade on guitar, Harry Coleman on lead vocals, Jamal Jahan Nubi on lead vocals and drums, Willie Williams on percussion, MacArthur Duncan on rhythm guitar, Robert Cole on bass, Larry Griffin on vox, and William Crawley as the engineer is that they were all um, serving time in the Powhatan uh, Correctional Facility, which is near where I used to live in Richmond, uh, most of them for, like, assault and robbery up to, like, 60 years, and uh, serving time in the early 70s, and yet somehow found this way, this love of music, like, that they brought into the penitentiary with them, Uh they found a way to nurture it and then get something out of it and continue this. Their statement on this was, uh, said, with our original music and sound, we hope to spread our thoughts and feelings as far and wide as possible. Our bodies are in prison, but we want our hearts and minds to be with the free world. The Edge of Daybreak symbolized this morning, uh, symbolized the morning when each of the band members will be free. I, I shouldn't have to how that's relevant <laughs> to the current state of incarceration. But to me, this is like, I, it, it, like I'm ashamed that I did not know about this album, to be quite honest. This is, this is a vital, not just a vital part of history, but a vital part of like Virginia history, hmm. um, you know, where I grew up. And, and yet ne- never heard of it, never saw it anywhere, missed it when Numero went out. And it speaks to the, not, the power of the human spirit, I think, but the uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Wes? It's it's the resilience, it's, perseverance. It's, no, well, there it is. It is all that, but the, uh, the 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 human spirit is not a monoculture. Yeah, okay. it's a lot of things. These guys did the t- did the crimes. Let's let's be clear. Now, now I will say that a couple of their stories because th- th- there's well, fantastic well, yeah. liner notes. If you can get the um, the vinyl copy, I mean, it's beautiful for a number of different reasons. Um, but the liner notes are really fascinating, and and it does seem as though a couple of them, you know, in as as fits in with the story of black men in prison in the United States. Um, some of them did not seem to have been guilty of their crimes. Right. Uh, some right. of them were. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah it's. But they, they all actually got out and, and tried to start other bands, but uh, they weren't actually that successful. What was unique about this is that uh, this was doing stuff like uh, Isaac Hayes. This was doing stuff like the OJs, mm. uh, if you know who they are. You know, this this sound of the early 70s 
a little more funk stuff while uh, everything was starting to move slowly towards hip hop. Yeah. Uh, they make a, they make a huge point in the liner notes to talk about how Chuck Brown was doing go go up in DC, but was well aware of of that, and he was a big seller in DC. And I guess where that's uh, Chocolate City is where you would hear a record like this. Uh, certainly not Lynchburg, Virginia. <laughs> but, um, but what's fascinating to me uh, also about this record is how, um, given their situation, how it changes the context of a lot of what they're singing about. So if you're in prison, you've been, you have been taken away from your loved ones. Uh, you are technically like isolated. Um, and so you have a song like Let Us that is about, well, we'll, we'll play a little bit and you, you tell me what it's about. <laughs> song sexy as fuck um but b it's sung by people where there's no in in the foreseeable future no chance of resolve and i i don't know why that's so fascinating to me that you're in prison and you make this like sexy sexual sensual song i mean the back end of the song is you know the, the typical trick of like lovers moans uh, in the background and stuff, and and the, and there's none of that, and so you you feel more, uh, at least I did, more a uh, sadness and, and a regret than an actual like like a Teddy Pendergrass song. Yeah, we're like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, like there's about, no about consummation. To get busy. Right, there, there's know? no consummation and in this. There's no consummation in that. There's no resolve, and and there's a lot of that on here because they can't you know, dance with you. Yeah. It's longing, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, I mean, one of the things that I loved right from the start, um, you know, from the couple samples that I had listened to that, that made me order the record, um, was just the, 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 the vocals are just gorgeous. I mean, each of these guys just has an incredible voice, tends to be a little bit more in the higher range, um, which I really love. Um, and, but there is, you can hear that longing in their voices, uh, without a doubt. And I, and I think that that's something that does come from their situation. Yeah. Yeah. And the other fascinating side of this is that they, like they're in prison. So they had literally uh, five hours to record eight songs, no mistakes, no overdubs. Yeah. There, there was a whole thing where they had to, 
to get even get the equipment they had to like authorize shops around the area. Um, and originally the plan was they wanted to go out to a, a recording studio in Richmond, Virginia, and they were like, no, that's going to be too much because we'd have to take uh, prison guards out there. And um, and so the, they brought the equipment to them, uh, which again is fascinating. 1976, I don't know how necessarily eager – uh, like the, a white community, which uh, most assuredly that recording studio was owned by a white person if it was in Richmond, Virginia, would be to bring <laughs> a bunch of recording equipment down so that a bunch of black men in prison could make a record. Uh, there's so much fascinating stuff that as much as you can read about this, it still doesn't really explain the whole situation, like how this all came to be. Uh, you know, they were in bands in the, before this happened, and it's like, each part of this like super group would get incarcerated. They'd be like, Oh, dang, you're <laughs> Did awesome you hear there's a great bass player just came in. <laughs> yeah. And it's a testament to like, you know, they're playing music of, uh, that was hyper relevant when they went in. Yeah. And that many, and that many of them were playing before, you know, one, one of the guys was in a band that toured with Otis Redding for two years. Yeah. So they're, <laughs> they're doing this and it is like, out of time and isolated, but obviously because they're in prison and like, I, I just am absolutely blown away that this even saw the light of day. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly would not have, I, I imagine would not have felt like a forward thinking album in 1976. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a look back. You do get, you, I mean, there's a bit of a disco feel at times. Um, you know, there's some stuff that does show that there's, you know, awareness of what's happening, but, but yeah, it's a little bit of a throwback album, um, for the time. Um, but that makes it really interesting to listen to now, um, you know, without having that immediate context, um, Right there. And, 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 you know, to your point about kind of how and why this happened and, and the fact that like, yeah, the, this record store owner, you know, just kind of liked these guys and kind of gave them a bit of a try. Like, all right, you know, we'll do this. Like the only thing I can really say about that is like, that's what music does. You know, it's one of these amazing things. Like you want to find the least racist community look to the musicians like depends maybe on what type of music you're looking at but like you know when you talk to a lot of these people who were playing in early jazz um scenes or stuff like that like all that matters is can you play and it doesn't matter what you look like it doesn't matter what your background is like none of those things matter except can you play and so i i like to think that that's kind of what happened in these interactions with you know, the people who run the music store that were kind of like, you know, selling them instruments or sending like equipment over and then, yeah, like accepting to, to go over and do it. Or even like, even the, the you know, the, the prison administration allowing this to happen, you know, I, I like to think that it's just kind of this like, wow, you guys are good and we're going to support this. I don't know. I'm sorry, that wouldn't happen in 2020. Hell no, that, it would that wouldn't have happened. That wouldn't happen, honestly, in in. Uh, since I was a young child, like yeah, I, I, I'm so like. I mean, can you imagine right now, uh, right now, if there was a band like this? I guess the equivalent would be hip hop, but yeah. if there was if there was a group of of people making like tribe called Quest level art mm -hmm. uh, inside a prison, like I don't is that happening? Uh, it it could be. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I I've never heard of it. I, I don't right. know. Um, you know, you have obviously various levels of incarceration, and we know that a lot of the black community is is wrongfully imprisoned. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 
where does all that lead? Um, people uh, at well, conservative assholes like to say, oh, that leads to violence and you get out. Right. And, and we see it in movies and stuff, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe it leads to, you know, a perfection of this. And it's not a cost that anybody should have to pay yeah. for sure. But, but I, you know, it's it just mind-blowing the, the strength of these guys' spirit to even, like, we're just in a pandemic. And I couldn't create anything for fucking like four months. <laughs> Literally nothing. I couldn't do it. And, yeah. and it's just like, and we're complaining about this shit. And we're like, oh my god, if there's if there's not X amount of stages, then then there's gonna be no music. And if there's not this, and I just would give somebody this album, and be like, there will always be music. Yeah, music will happen. It will always, always yeah. happen. And um, joyful music will happen. And that's the other thing. Yes. I mean, you know, because that that's the other thing. Like, I, I do feel like, no, admittedly, we're in 2020. And so <laughs> it, it, it's easy to, to see darkness. But I feel like if there are incarcerated groups of people who are making music right now, um, as you were just saying, it would probably be in the hip hop field, um, you know, maybe in, um, you know, may, maybe not. It, it, I don't know. It bothers me. I guess that I just said that. But, um, but. It, yeah, it's a problematic statement. It really is. Um, but at the same time, like, I do feel like, and maybe this is just because more of the kind of like mainstream rappers that you hear about who are doing time for whatever thing, you know, they tend to be often like rapping about drugs and guns and, you know, d d misogyny. And, and that's something that, you know, I have absolutely no tolerance for. Um, and so, you know, I don't listen to that stuff. But but I think that that's oftentimes what you would think about. Um, or if you think about somebody like, as you said, like, Lettuce is a sexy song, you know? So if you say, if you think about somebody making a sexy song in prison, you might think about something really explicit, you know? But that's, and, and, and it gets there a little bit with some of the moaning in the, in yeah, the background yeah, later in the track. But like, that's a romantic yeah. song about longing and about, you know, desire in, in a healthy way. Well, I mean, and look, take this song like Edge of Day. Everybody! Um, but also, uh, it might be a little too late, but we're doing it. 
acknowledgement of their situation in in a song that's about like the day they get out of prison mm. eventually. But uh, that's that's pretty pretty powerful. Like it is. Like yeah. what do you like if you consider all the shit that like musicians won't put up with these days. Yeah. And then consider that <laughs> and be like, what? Compare this with the whiny indie white yeah. boys who are just yeah, like, oh, like, they got hard times. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not even like oppressive music, like you said. Yeah. It's absolutely joyful. Well, you know, one thing that I think, so I've been thinking about this a little bit with this album because, um, it came up in, in conversation, um, that was near recently. Uh, there was a, TED talk is kind of bouncing around between people. Um, and I, I, I'm blanking on the guy's name right now, but, but a movie was made about him. He was, he was a like classical cello player, I believe it was. Um, and there was a movie with, um, Jamie Foxx and, um, I think Robert Downey Jr. And it's, you know, one of these stories of, of a homeless man being found, um, to be this, you know, exceptionally talented musician. And, um, and it, it really rubs me the wrong way. I mean, it was it was it was it was a good TED talk. It was by a musician. He was kind of talking about what music means and, and you know bringing this person who was um, I believe schizophrenic um, and you know making him able to kind of function when he was playing and stuff like that. So like that part, like totally on board with. But we as a society attached to that kind of story, and oftentimes with this like, wow, can you believe this homeless person was actually talented? And you say that like, wow, can you believe that these people who are in jail were actually talented musicians? And it's like, hell yes, I can. You know, I, I'm willing to bet that if you take everyone who's in prison right now, you would find like higher IQs. Um, I mean, it would, like it, even if you move for like actual intelligence testing, not IQs, but like you would find such exceptionally intelligent, caring, loving, brilliant, talented people um, who have been taken advantage of by the system. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I said up front, like, you know, we have this like monolithic view of people who, who are in prison. Yeah. Or people who commit crimes and uh, and we treat them differently. Yeah. Uh, if you're white, you, you're, you're going to do a lot better off uh, than yeah. you are if you're of color in not just in America, I think anywhere in the world mm -hmm. right now. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it is important to note that these guys took this talent and this love of music in with them. Right. Yeah, these yeah, are people not... who learn to play their instrument inside, you know? Right, <laughs> right. It was like, okay, so we have to make uh, the best of our situation as it is, which, uh, you know, again, coming from, you know, African-Americans uh, having not that far removed from slavery to it, it's 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 mind-blowing and heartbreaking, like, all at once. Yeah. That, that people can have... Uh, this level of of strength and and compassion and look the 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 mental just fortitude to be open enough to make art. Yeah, <laughs> and and to again, you know, you sort of said this earlier. Every one of these tracks is a first take. Yeah, they made this album in five hours. Every single thing. I mean, not, not obviously. It's not the first time they had played the songs, you know. But everyone. I mean, but part of that is just like 
a, a good band is a tight band and a tight band can do that, you know, so there is that aspect, but it is the one like, I mean, you know, it, it is one thing that, that I might say, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm telling somebody about this album, I might say something along the lines of, you know, think about it maybe a little bit more like a live album at times, just because there are certain moments where the production isn't perfect. You know, somebody leans away from their microphone a little bit or, or somebody, you know, a tiny little flub on one of the instruments, you know, and, and it's very small. Um, I was quite blown away and surprised when I found out they were all first takes because you would not get that sense of it listening to it. But it sounds like a very, very good live band. If you, if you look at it too, like they're, they're sharing duties on the instruments because what they literally had to do was like, if they had to sing, somebody else had to play the instruments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> all I'm saying is that uh, people out there, DIY and stuff, uh, this is something you need to study <laughs> how to make music in adversity and how to create in adversity um, and and come to realize that that you will always be able to do this if it's within you to do it then it's within you to do it yeah like and maybe period. it's not music necessarily you know maybe you're a writer oh, yeah, maybe yeah. you're a poet maybe you're a painter like you know but but you can find it within yourself. And, and I mean, I, I will say, like, allow yourselves the times when you can't also, you know. I mean, we, you and I are both creators and you and I both have times where we can't do that. Um, and you have to be able to forgive yourself for those times. Um, but you also have to be able to get back to work at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I just... Yeah, point is go out go out and get this. Um, like I said, my wax just showed up. It is it is fantastic. I'll be playing it uh, for for a real long time and um, and actually looking deeper into it, like the other bands that they started coming out of this because they the point of the bands that they did after this was to talk about their different types of experiences, you know, surviving prison, for example, and um, and rising up, like rising themselves up, raising themselves up and it's just um yeah it, it it's it's music nerd bait <laughs> for sure uh but it's the type of story that you you not only love to see but you need to see it so um and uh yeah so edge of daybreak is the name of the band eyes of love is the album it is out on numero group now Eyes of Love from Edge of Daybreak and Dialectic Soul uh, from Ashar Gamedze there. Uh, before we get out of here this week, I want to talk to you a little bit about Bill Frizzell. And, you know, we were going to review this album, Wes, but I watched a documentary on him recently that I think everybody should watch. You can rent it from Vimeo right now. That's the only place I could find it. Uh, first of all, <laughs> Bill Frizzell seems like a lovely human. <laughs> he seems like the nicest guy uh and he really really loves his guitars and and i don't even think unhealthily i think he just uh he he gets his connection in the universe but um he said something at the top of this documentary um when people ask him to talk about his art and just art in general and he's talking with a friend of his who's an illustrator and how you know he's just out there to create it he's just out there to 
bring something that's inside him or out in the universe, out into the world. And that by, and I'm paraphrasing here, that by, uh, by putting a label on it, by even talking about it, you kind of can uh, change the meaning of it and in some, some ways destroy the purity of it. Um, and it, it was a weird moment when he said that because it was like all jovial and then it was dead serious. <laughs> He's like, ha, ha, like nervous <laughs> laughter. Uh, so with that in mind, I, I, we're going to play a track right now and then you, you'll get the feel for it. So this is off his new album uh, with his longtime, cl- cl- yeah, with his longtime collaborators, uh, Rudy Royston and Thomas Morgan. It's their first uh trio album and he's been playing with them for years this is what the world needs now is love
The only thing I'm going to say about that track is that it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about Bill Frizzell and why people should listen to him beyond that. That that should be enough, right, Wes? We're, we both play guitar, and that should be yeah. <laughs> Dude can play. He's, he's had such a long career. He's made uh, somewhere in the hundreds of albums, um, and he just – is more than any musician that I can think of very in the moment with what he's doing. Um, so, you know, this is on Blue Note. I think that's his new home now. He was on Nonesuch for a while. He's made a bunch of records uh, for ECM, although some of those are like more live uh, affairs. And you start to get talk about pulling a thread. He's played with everybody. Uh, my favorites are uh, Nashville, uh, the one he did with uh, Alison Krauss. Hmm. Uh, is on that a lot um, yeah. and then uh, he did an album a couple of years ago called When You Wish Upon a Star where mm-hmm. he just reinterpreted classic movie and TV themes um, and it's it's way better than it sounds people Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely sublime and this guy is just um, what I think people should asp- you want to call yourself an artist you should aspire to be like this open uh, this flu and look, this talented. <laughs> There's I, <laughs> I every time I listen to him, I go, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could play that. And then I, no, there's no fucking way I could play that, um, because it's not just about him. Uh, the notes he's picking, it's about him. Uh, and and I don't know of any guitarist, living guitarist, that, that has that singular voice. Um, I think Garcia had it. Hmm. Um, I think to. Uh, you know, Grant Green, not living. Yeah. Grant Green yeah. definitely had it. Um, yeah. You know, even I think somebody like David Gilmore has some of it, but not, you know, David Gilmore just knows who he is. So yeah. he can, he can do that, but, but nothing, nothing like this. You know, when you say that you, you said he was open um, and that's a, that's a really interesting comment because the, the word that I have been kind of you know, choosing for him, particularly in reflection on this record, but, but, you know, I've also been listening to him for a long time, um, is spacious. Um, and part of that is because one of the things that really stands out about him is that he knows when not to play. And that is in many ways, to me, the sign of a good guitar player. It's not what you play when you're playing. It's, do you know when not to play? Um, and he knows when not to play, but he then, um, when he is throwing things in, I mean, it's just stunning and it's, um, he's done a ton of different styles. So there's a lot of kind of different ways into his catalog. Um, you know, and as you said, he's played with everybody, you know, so chances are you've heard this guy a number of different times and you've heard people copy him. I mean, you, yeah, like, do you like Nils Klein? Right. right. <laughs> and, and, and actually Nels is in that documentary and he's just like, mm. yeah, he, he was like, I don't want to call out people. Um, and then essentially he's like, basically because I find myself doing it too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he's just a monumentally uh, influential guitarist. And, uh, and to, to just to, just for a moment to just say like you I mean you said this is his first trio um, record with this crew but particularly and 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 everybody I mean Rudy Royston is an incredible drummer he's uh, showing up in a lot of interesting places right now but I do want to just give um, a quick shout out to Thomas Morgan um, he's an, he's a phenomenal bass player for one thing and, um, and you know and has showed up in some really interesting places also but I will just say like. I swear. So, so the two of them, uh, Frizzell and Thomas Morgan, have two albums together from the last few years. I think they're both live. I know at least one of them is, but I think both of them are live, and it's just the two of them. And 
I swear, like maybe even more than any other duo I can think of that's active right now, like they sound like one player. It's yeah. incredible. Just yeah. like th those are people. I mean, that, you know, that, that's what a good band needs to do is kind of know each other, know what you're going to play, know what comes next and all that. But like these two, I mean, it, it's just a symbiotic relationship. Like you feel like they are one musician a lot of the times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is, um, I mean, this is one of my favorite albums of the year. So there you go. Take that free jazz. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so Valentine is out there. It was just released on Blue Note. Uh, I would recommend going out and get that. That is it. We are out of here. Coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about an album that Woods uh, put out a little while ago. We're sort of reaching back through the stacks and uh, seeing what's good. Uh, we're going to be talking. I think we're going to be talking about the uh, Nubia Garcia album that's coming out soon because it's pretty good. Uh, later down the road, Sylvan Esso has a new album coming out. I've heard tell that that album is pretty good, uh, and just lots of lots of great new music. And uh, as we inch ever closer to episode 500, also look to hear some some classic album discussions. I know we're going to be talking about NXS's Kick. I know we're going to be talking about uh, the duo of Genesis's albums, Invisible Touch and We Can't Dance. So uh, that's that's all coming up. So hang in there, everybody out there. Uh, stay safe, and uh, we'll be back in a few short days. Talk to you soon. <laughs> 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 Kenobi!